Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. All of us who know the God of the Bible in any measure have come to one simple conclusion. God is good. Not only do we read this over and over again in the Bible, both as fact as well as from numerous scriptural examples, we also know it from our own experience. And God is not only good to us now, but He's always been good to us, even in our days as rebellious sinners. Romans chapter 11 and verse 22 speaks of the goodness and the severity of God, two unchangeable characteristics of God that affect how he deals with man. You see, it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, according to Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. In today's broadcast, speaker Eugene Higgins speaks about how the goodness of God has impacted all our lives. His goodness is guaranteed because he never changes. We can be sure of it. But Mr. Higgins also takes up God's severity, his unbending holiness in dealing with sin. This, my friend, cannot be compromised. Let's listen to what the gospel message is all about as Mr. Higgins considers these two very prominent characteristics of the God of the Bible. Romans chapter 11 and verse 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. The goodness and severity of God. Now this passage is dealing with nations and with God's dealings with nations, not individuals. Nonetheless, I think that there are principles that will be very helpful to us tonight in considering the great subject of the gospel. I'd like you to think with me for a few moments about the goodness of God. God is a good God. The way that Peter puts it is, he says he is a faithful creator. That is, he will never change in his attitude toward his creatures. He's not fickle. He's not capricious. It's not that today he wishes your best, but tomorrow for some reason that no one can determine, he will no longer be that way toward you. He's a faithful creator toward his creatures, toward his creation. So think about the goodness of God in creation, first of all. Think about Earth's position in the solar system. The Bible says the Earth has He given to the children of men. How unique, how unique our planet is. Now, of course, there are people, and some are very wise. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Some have uh, much education and great erudition and learning, and they will say, well, of course, it looks convenient for life to, to be here because life is here. What, how else, where else would life be, but where it seems conducive for life to be? The problem is, it's almost a statistical impossibility that the conditions should be the way they are in our world. So we're not talking about the fact that life happened to appear on earth, but it could have appeared in a hundred other different places. Our world, our planet, seems to have been placed in the one spot 
where conditions are conducive to life. In fact, although we won't take the time to look at that tonight, in fact, there are things about where the earth is placed that should mean life shouldn't be able to thrive here. But earth is different from other planets, even though it shouldn't be different. Who has made it different? Why is it different? Who has positioned the earth in exactly where it is? And there's this small little blue thing that we live on. Who planned that? Your faithful creator. Your faithful creator. Someone has said that despite all man's sophistication and his artistic pretensions and his many accomplishments, he owes his existence to the fact that there's a six-inch layer of topsoil on the earth and that it happens to rain on our planet. You ever notice how the New York Times and other papers will absolutely trumpet the news that there might be, there might be some evidence, might be some evidence that water once existed on some planet millions of light years away. And, and it may be, it may be that water once was there and, and therefore it may be that life was once there. And yet here we are on a planet with everything required as though a kind corner store grocer knowing all the needs of the people in his neighborhood stocks his shelves with what he knows the people need and what they want. God, the faithful creator, has stored our planet with everything to maintain our lives. Why? He is a faithful creator. That's part of his goodness. He stretched his hand out over the, the Garden of Eden and he said to Adam and Eve, all this I've given you. That's his gift to the human race. His gift to our father and mother. All this I have given you. And they lived in a garden where there was everything conducive to their well-being. That's part of the goodness of God all around us. All around us in our solar system, we see either blazing ovens or icebox refrigerator-like conditions. But here, there is everything conducive to life. That's the goodness of God. The goodness of God in creation. And that's just when it comes to things like the position of the planet. Think of the provision of the planet. Think of the fact that God has even put into our bodies the things that are necessary. So that even the way our bodies are made and what God has done shows us his goodness to us. Think of his goodness to you. Think of his goodness to you here. I never thought that coming to gospel meetings was uh, a mark of the goodness of God. You know, there's this old song that people sing. I think, I, I think if I close my eyes, I could almost hear George Beverly Shea singing. No place is so dear to my childhood as the little brown church in the veil. Well, there was a lot of places dearer to me every Sunday night. Every Sunday night preaching. Some of the preaching was pretty hard to follow and listen to. See, there I was. Sunday school, there I was. Special meetings, there my family had me. And yet, unknown to me, that was part of the goodness of God to me. I know just a little of my heart, and I know if I had not been put in a family where the gospel was all around me, where to get away from it, I would have had to trip over it. I never would have gone after it myself. I remember that when I'm knocking on doors and inviting people or handing them invitations to tent meetings and gospel meetings. I think to myself, how unlikely it would have been if somebody had handed me an invitation that I would have actually come. But God in his goodness put me in a home where I heard the gospel constantly. And that's the goodness of God to you. But think of his goodness in Christ. The goodness of God seen in Christ. God has provided a payment in Christ that's enough to save your soul from hell. The Bible puts it this way. He gave himself a ransom for all. He bore the wrath. He endured the suffering. He took the punishment at Calvary. Isaiah says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was on him. And with his stripes we are saved. He was there at Calvary making a payment that could save you from hell. 
Now, when we think of ransoms, we normally think of a bad guy takes somebody, and people pay money to the bad guy to get the person they love back. In the Bible, the ransom was not paid to the devil or to sin, but to God. And that ransom enables God to set you free tonight and deliver you from going to hell. Imagine God, in his goodness, being willing to pay so much to ransom you. Do you know that that involves incredible love? Incredible love. When we use words like this, the Lamb of God, the precious blood of Christ, redeemed, forgiven, saved. Do you know that we are talking about something that involves incredible love? That the Lord Jesus would come into our world where he would suffer. A friend of mine who was in the Navy, and he talked about coming over the bridge one day and just looking down, and he saw a ship that was flying certain flags. And he knew what that meant from his years in the Navy. He knew that the flag on that particular ship meant that there was a, a disease on the ship and that it was under quarantine and you were not to get on. He said, I thought to myself, he was a Christian, he said, I thought to myself, knowing what that meant, knowing what that flag meant, I would never think to step foot on that ship. And it was just a step from that to thinking of the Lord Jesus, looking at our world, our planet, filled with sin, knowing what it would mean to him if he came. And yet he came, born into our world and born to suffer. Everyone here was born to live. That's what your mother and father hoped, that you'd have a long, healthy life. They had great plans for you and purposes for you. Even though you had to die, they hoped that you would live and they gave birth to you with life in mind. The Lord Jesus was the only one who didn't have to die, but came for the very purpose of dying on a cross to save men and women. Talks about incredible love. Calvary is a message from God written in blood that God loves you, that Christ loved you and gave himself to save you. We are talking about incredible love, that the goodness of God would provide Christ to be the payment, that God, God would give his son to die for sinners. We are talking about inconceivable pain. A mother or father would be willing to say goodbye to a son or daughter for a limited time, thinking that that child will be honored or will receive great homage or, or accolades. It'd be possible that a mother or father We'll say goodbye to a son or daughter knowing that they're going to serve Christ and it'll be years before they see them again. But they're mutually making that sacrifice. What father or mother here would send their son or daughter into a danger zone knowing she'll be killed? He'll be killed. God sent his son to be a sacrifice for sin. Here's the way the book of Romans puts it. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as a sin offering condemned sin in the flesh. What person would go knowing, knowing, I will die, my life will be forfeited. This is what it says about the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knowing all things that would come upon him. He went forth. He understood what lay ahead. He foresaw the cross, the crown of thorns, the nails, the spear. He saw all that. And he willingly went ahead to suffer all that for you. It's the goodness of God to you that Christ would endure such suffering for you. I asked what father or mother would send one of his or her children into a place of danger knowing that that child would die. But imagine if the father had to punish that child because the Lord Jesus not only came into a world where he would be hated, but in the darkness of Calvary, God had to punish Christ in order to pay for my sin. And the Bible puts it in language I've already used. The Bible simply says, God punished him. He was wounded. God punished him. It pleased the Lord to punish Christ. And of course, 
This reminds us of incomparable worth. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter what you have done. It does not matter how long you have been in your sins. It does not matter how far down the broad road you have gone. God is willing to save you tonight because of what Christ did at Calvary. And the precious blood of Christ can cleanse your sins away. Here's how the poet puts it. What means a universal call if there be not enough for all? As if the Savior passed some by while he for other sins did die. They never can the sinner reach who crippled thus the gospel preach. What happened at Calvary has made a provision for the world. And therefore enough for you. Because there is a worth that can never be measured in what the Lord Jesus did at Calvary. God has proclaimed the value of that work in a message. It's called the gospel message. Here's how Paul put it. To you is the word of this salvation sent. God is sending the message to you. Oh, the goodness of God to allow you to hear the message. That the gospel has come right to your door, right into your home, right to your hearing, right to your heart. And you know what makes that such a marvelous blessing from God, a token of his goodness? Is that that is how people become saved. They hear the gospel and they believe it. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. It's essential. It's essential for people to be saved that they hear the gospel message. And the goodness of God has brought that message to you. And God, in his goodness, has patiently waited. Despite your resistance, despite your refusal, just as the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, with the judgment looming, so the goodness of God is waiting for you to repent. You have somebody praying for you? Goodness of God. That your name has been mentioned to God today? Somebody has on their knees, has talked to God about you today. But the goodness of God has brought you where you can hear the gospel. I just challenge you to think of the goodness of God to you. How good God has been to you. You're alive. You're here. You have people praying for you. But the writer says the goodness and severity of God. The goodness and severity of God. The goodness of God stems from what he is. He is a good God. And his goodness shows itself in all that he does. But he is not only marked by goodness, he is marked by holiness. And his changeless love for men and women is matched by a changeless attitude towards sin as well. Now God will never change in his attitude towards you. God loves you. God wishes you well. God wishes you would spend eternity with him. If you die in your sins, God won't suddenly change and say, I never really wanted that person to be saved. God wishes you well, but there's something else about God that never changes. Sin cannot be allowed in his presence. Sin cannot go unpunished by this holy God. Isaiah caught a sight of that God high and lifted up, and he saw these beings, these heavenly creatures, calling to one another. They, they weren't speaking to God. It wasn't as though they were worshiping God in the sense that they could address God. He says he saw them calling to each other as if they were reminding, as though they were reminding one another of a God whom they served. And they said to each other, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The, the whole earth is full of his glory. Because that God of holiness must punish sin. Do you know when Isaiah caught that vision? He caught it in a year that a good friend of his died. Funerals have a way, don't they? Funerals have a way of clearing the cobwebs from our mind and causing us to think clearly and at times solemnly. And Isaiah had seen this good friend, a king, buried, put away. 
He remembered how it all happened. That this king had gone marching into the temple one day where he had no right to be. That he had gone in there to try and act like a priest when he wasn't a priest. He was trespassing on sacred ground. That when the priests of the Lord stopped him, he grew angry with them because he was the king. And he was very close to having them all beheaded and cleared out of the way so he could do what he wanted to do. When they saw the leprosy in his forehead suddenly appear, the white mark, as the disease began to spread. And there must have been such a horrified look. I could see his hand go up following their, their gaze as they looked up at his forehead. And as he felt, and as the word was whispered, he's a leper. And he's running out of the temple. And he's going to spend the rest of his life quarantined. He's going to live out there in a place by himself. He won't be allowed into the city, let alone into the temple. And he will die the awful death of a leper. He faced the severity of God because of his sin. And he sees this sight, these beings calling to one another. And suddenly Isaiah realizes, I deserve the same kind of judgment. I am a sinner. And he says, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Who was I to think that I could serve such a holy God like this? We've often been reminded that if you just forget the, um, the chronological order of the book of Isaiah and just read it the way it's written, that in chapter 5, Isaiah is saying, woe to this one and woe to that one. Woe to the drunkard. Woe to the extortioner. Woe to the man who takes advantage of the widow and the fatherless children. He's calling down woes on all these people. But in the very next chapter, after those six woes, he sees the Lord high and lifted up and he takes up one more woe and he says, woe is me. I am undone. I am lost, is what he's saying. I'm unclean. The people around me are unclean. And God is holy. He had just seen the severity of God deal with that wicked king. Want to see the severity of God? Watch Noah and his family walk into the ark. And like a clap of thunder, the hand of God closes the door. The Lord shut him in. I, I take it to be as literal as it sounds. Anybody watching must have wondered what kind of strings Noah pulled when all of a sudden the door comes slamming closed. Suddenly, all that Noah had been preaching and warning and telling about suddenly became horribly true. As God was about to judge the world for its sin. He had waited and waited and waited. That's what Peter tells us. The long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Waiting and waiting and waiting. But the moment that judgment was to fall, you will see the severity of God as he sweeps the world with his judgment. Please do not play games with this God. He loves you intensely. He loves you personally. He loves you fervently. He wants your salvation. He wishes you well. But he is unbendingly, unchangingly, inflexibly, eternally holy. And he must punish sin. And the day came when Noah opened the door and looked out. And not another human being was left in the world. The severity of God had dealt with sin. Want to see the severity of God? Watch the angels grabbing Lot and his family outside the gate. Hurrying them away. Telling them to escape for your life. Don't even look behind you. Run! Escape! There's some language used in, in Genesis 18 and 19 that leave me at least just bowing to accept what it says without being able to really explain it or understand it. Let me give you one of the verses. Then the Lord rained from the Lord fire and brimstone in Sodom and Gomorrah. As if one of those beings who had stopped to visit Abraham was standing in the plain. The family had run. Lot's wife had turned back. The rest were gone now to safety. And it was not left to angels. This was God dealing with sin and directing it from the skies as a tsunami of fire, a tidal wave of wrath. 
A flood of fire came sweeping down into the valley. Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboam, they're going to be burned. They're going to disappear in a moment's time. And before you there stretches heaven and hell, life and death. As Moses put it, blessing and cursing. The goodness of God wishes you to be in heaven. The severity of God warns you that sin is taking you to hell. Have a look. Behold, says the writer, have a look at the goodness and severity of God. Heaven or hell. All Can you look back you to ways in which God has been good to you? Well, for one so thing, he's allowed you to hear the gospel on our program today. You have heard the wonderful invitation of the gospel to come and receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We trust that you will accept his provision today. Trust in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation and receive God's eternal blessing. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul. <laughs>